Hello and welcome to the Evolution of Business podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Brady, and I'm here today with Yasmin Maddox. Raised in New York City, Yasmin has happily lived in the Rochester area since graduating Alfred University in 2007 with a BA in political science. She also holds an MS in international studies from 2011. She's worked in the legal, mental health, renewable energy, consulting, and higher education fields, with the common thread being her deep interest and expertise in research and its real-world applications to do good. In 2017, she founded Architect, a company that creates digital professional advancement tools tailored to the unique needs and aspirations of working parents after her own professional advancement and work, life struggles immediately upon becoming a mother. Married to her college sweetheart, with whom she is raising three daughters, ages five, three, and one, Yasmin loves learning about breakneck speed discoveries, successes, and failures in different fields, and she is always excited to learn about the various ways people and their work are interconnected. Yes, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. All right, so I was thinking back to maybe the first time that I met you, and if Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you are at the Center for Urban Entrepreneurship, correct? Because we've had Ebony on the program before yeah. uh, to talk about some of the things that uh, that are going on at the Q. But tell us a little bit about your your work at the Q. And at the same time, I believe you had your own consulting firm. Correct on on both points. Um, I was incredibly drawn to Q because I could see that it was an opportunity to do work that um, I'm good at if I can if I can just say that which is research and I think I'm good at it because I'm really passionate about it and it was an opportunity to do that um, at the university level and for a purpose and a cause and that cause was really to help individuals from underrepresented backgrounds historically um, better navigate entrepreneurship so they could be more successful. And certainly as uh, a person of color and to be more specific as a, a black woman, um, you know, that weighed heavily on me to, to have a role in, in positive impact in that way. Um, and I also, you know, uh, had a consulting business um, where I did research and consulting for um, a number of uh, organizations, but namely a couple of consulting firms overseas in Germany, Australia, and then also um, some psychosocial research with a forensic psychologist in the United States. Wow. So how do you go from that uh, I, 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 to now creating this this architect uh, pro- startup that you've got going on. And, and really, um, yeah, I, I found this online. So I, I, I uh-huh. we talked a little bit before you that you're willing to share this on the air, but, um, you know, you, you kind of talked a little bit about how this, this deep depression that you had after some of your most joyful moments, the birth of your daughters and, and how that really, um, you know, started to lead, plant the seeds for what, what is now architect. Yeah. Um, I would say that I knew from a very young age that I was to use the term ambitious and that whatever I was going to be doing, I wanted to be doing it well. I knew that I wanted to have a career. Um, My mother certainly modeled that for me. And so I just knew that I wanted to get out into the world and and have a a wonderfully long and adventurous and successful career. I also knew, and I couldn't pinpoint when, that I wanted to have a family and and specifics that I wanted to have children. Um, And so the fact that my entry, so to speak, into motherhood in the in the professional context left me so so discombobulated, so um, wondering, you know, what the hell happened with so many professional setbacks immediately. I realized after a lot of introspection and speaking to other women initially 
that something is fundamentally wrong with the way we talk about not only navigating careers and our professional aspirations, but how we navigate parenthood. Um, do you, you know, the challenges that, that mothers face are valid, as are the challenges that fathers face, and they're unique. And so the idea essentially was to figure out how to address the, the problems that um, are incurred when, when we don't have the information that we need, not so much after the fact as crisis management, but in a preventive way so that before people even have their little bundles of joy in their arms, um, you know, they know what to expect and they can be better prepared. And in turn, they can be more successful both professionally and personally. Interesting. So how do you take kind of this despair really and, and turn it into a business idea? Like when did, when did the, that kind of frustration turn into, no, maybe, there, maybe I can make a difference in this area? So, yeah. So I remember that, that lightning uh, rod moment, even though it's not what we're actually doing now, vividly. Um, I was on vacation um, in Long Island, in the Hamptons, and uh, I had just come off of a high of officiating one of my best friend's wedding. And I had learned about um, a, a woman in, in you know, my extended network who had killed herself. She had committed suicide, um, postpartum depression. And, um, you know, the whole saying of if not for the grace of God or, or whatever else you want to think, it could have been me. It left me feeling... Um, Certainly upset, which is an understatement, certainly frustrated, but more so infuriated um, that that woman's life was just gone and um, that there could have been and and should have been tools to, to help her in some way. Now, it took a while, admittedly, to figure out what that could be. Um, our initial idea was for, if I could call it a, a pee on a stick test, um, essentially to test at the molecular level, um, uh, hormones positively associated with the development of postpartum depression. Mm. But when I went through, uh, Next Corp's formerly High Tech Rochester's pre-seed workshop in 2016, um, even though the idea conceptually had legs to get through the, the astronomical hurdles, um, of the FDA, it would cost at least a hundred, a hundred million dollars to get to market. And so the advisors provided to me during that experience said, you know what? there's still something here. Figure out what you can do, what's feasible. And so, you know, it's taken the better part of, of a, a couple years of, of really um, intense dialogue, customer discovery, user discovery, figuring out really what, what manifestation of, of a number of problems we wanted to address and how to address it. Um, and we figured out that it made most sense to, to create software essentially to create, um, at least as most people now call it, um, apps, right? So, um, web-based apps. Wow. So I, I guess that's, uh, the, the classic entrepreneurial pivot, right? To, yeah. to go from, <laughs> uh, you know, you, you have this, and I think that's part of, of, of conscious capitalism, really the power of, of having a really strong purpose as well as when, when you maybe do have to pivot and your initial ideas don't, don't come you know, to, to fruition, that if you do have a really clear purpose, you can find maybe another way to try to address that purpose or have that that impact. Um, I've seen, though, that you talk 
in, in, in a few, few different talks that you've given that you talk about the, the motherhood penalty. Yeah. Uh, I, think, I think you quoted that it was something like 20 to 30% of lifetime income that, that mothers essentially pay this motherhood penalty uh, because just simply for the fact of being a mother. So um, how, would a, how would a tool like Architect uh, you know, help to, to address this? Right. So um, to, to back up a bit, um, that penalty really uh, addresses a, a number of or a host of horribles. But, but really, Architect's tools, and, and we have three apps that we've been building, um, the first which um, we're leading with is a professional uh, development opportunity matching platform. Um, and so in the case of that app, Really, we're addressing the problem of working parents, primarily mothers, essentially being crowded out of professional development opportunities, namely conferences, because the vast majority don't have childcare um, on site. And so before, before a lot of working mothers as well as working fathers can say, yeah, I'd like to go to that you know, conference. I'd like to pay the fee. I'd like to ask my employer to sponsor me for this you know, X, Y, and Z. They have to figure out childcare. And there are an immense number of logistical hurdles for that to happen. And so um, with this particular app, we make recommendations based on your current um, job, your professional path, your professional needs, but also your family structure, your support network, so the village to use that term, um, and who you can work with to provide childcare, either someone within your immediate network or beyond that. So we facilitate those connections um, and, you know, we help, we help working parents to execute on those opportunities to close in part um, one of the reasons for that, for that motherhood penalty and, and these gender uh, pay gaps, so to speak. And, and when you're doing that, I, th- I think it's really important, and, and I've seen a little bit of this in the past uh, or, or around the internet a little bit, but this was on your website that it says, at Architect, we do not aim for balance, not at all. Right. We aim for integration. So uh, is, that, is that just a, you know, a difference of, of words, or, or what, is no. the, what is the distinction there? <laughs> how, can, what, how should people start to think differently uh, mm-hmm. about balance and, and instead shoot for integration? So I may get this... Um, I may have always had this visualization because my mother, my mother is an attorney. And so, you know, for a long time, I've always imagined in one way or the other, the the scales of justice, right? You have these two scales. And, you know, if you've ever looked at scales, whether they're of justice or just on your kitchen counter, there tends to be an inherent tension in keeping them at equilibrium, right? Because if the, the slightest weight goes on one but not the other. There very quickly you have imbalance. And so from a a psychological, if you will, perspective, trying to have an approach to working parenthood that is predicated on that precariousness has always seemed to be very distressing and very difficult. What we're asserting is that when you have the right information presented in an appropriate way to you and your family, you really integrate the considerations of how your professional aspirations and career impact your family and vice versa. So you integrate those considerations and that information so you can plan better and you could go forward in a way that does not leave you feeling 
discombobulated as I used, you know, that word earlier. So that's really the distinction in balance versus integration. It's one of really a a better framing, we think, of information and decision-making and execution on, on what you want to accomplish. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think it's a, I think it's a subtle, but it's an important uh, mindset shift. And and one of the things that that's actually coming to mind as you're talking is wondering whether with architect and, and maybe it's both, but are you are you more targeting working with you know individuals and helping them with their planning, or is there a way to kind of work with and, and maybe consult with companies to help them become more more uh, you know friendly to to working parents and, and their needs. Great question. So there are, as with, you know, many other things, there are, um, for various reasons, uh, advantages and disadvantages to, to both approaches, right? If you were to say, you know, what, what model are you, are you using? Who are you, you know, really trying to, um, help and in which way? And we would say both. We certainly are starting off at least in part, um, direct to consumer. Um, And that has to do with the fact that you have to get to market, right? And for those who are not familiar with um, uh, B2B and specifically the enterprise process of sales, it's very long, it's very cumbersome. And it's frustrating because if you have a product that you just need to get out there, you need to get it out there. And so um, certainly our big vision is that um, our primary customers will be companies. Um, They will be organizations of any size, but for numbers of of sheer volume and, you know, scale, you know, economies of scale enterprises um, where they have, for instance, Morgan Stanley has on the order of 400,000 employees. Um, Product like this can be far more impactful perhaps um, just because of scale than, um, say, an organization of, of the size of Architect right now, um, which doesn't mean that you don't get it to everybody, but you try to figure out strategically, okay, how can we get it within organizations where it can have the biggest impact? And for individuals who are not part of organizations who are going to subscribe, how can we get it to them too? Um, and how can we ensure that there aren't any disparate outcomes um, you know, based on the use of, of both groups. Mm. Yeah, because I'm thinking, you know, there's a lot of organizations out there that are at least starting to address some of these issues. Um, I know that actually Patagonia is, is kind of a, an early adopter and, and really a pioneer of conscious capitalism. And and they had on-site daycare for, for, for quite a long time. I know that uh, Richard Sheridan, who's, who's you know, the, the keynote for our, our Conscious Capitalism Summit, talks about at Menlo that you can bring your bring your baby to work for as long <laughs> as you'd like. And, and they have, they're, I think, on Menlo Baby, like 70 or 80 right now. Um, are there are there best practices for for how to do that, or is it really specific to the company, or who are some of the the, the real leaders in this organizationally? So I think to answer the the first two questions, I think uh, again to sound like my mother to sound like an attorney, it depends right on uh, the particulars of a of any given case. That said, there are certainly best practices. There are certainly best practices that. Um, you know, federal and state agencies uh, put out, um, oftentimes in conjunction with practices uh, against discrimination. So, you know, pregnancy-based discrimination, um, things like that. But I believe 
to really figure out what's best for any organization, you have to figure out what's best for your people, which is easier said than done. So just as, you know, an entrepreneur would engage in deep customer discovery, businesses should be willing to walk their talk and do customer or do employee discovery with their employees. So whereas a number of companies are holding public forums, which can certainly be a powerful tool in really figuring out if people want this, if there's a demand for the same reasons, um, you know, that we have anonymous voting, um, it should be an approach that arguably not only has public forums and then an anonymous survey after, but a pretest, you know, a pre-survey anonymously, the forum, and then a post-test to really see if people are being forthright about any concerns they may have. Um, and I think, I think you really have to go by what is going to work, not only for working parents, of which I am one, but for everybody, um, I think it would be unfortunate, not only for everybody, but certainly for working parents to get to a point where in order to better serve them, to better serve us, we are doing it at the expense of everybody else. Um, working parents, like those who don't have children, have unique needs and challenges, but ultimately everybody's, everybody's challenges um, really deserves validation, really deserves empathy and figuring out how everybody can win. So I think companies need to do that. Um, our, our product, our tools really are geared towards um, initially professional services. So we're looking at law, management, consulting, finance, um, even though not a professional service, higher education for, for reasons really that speak to the disparities um, between working mothers and fathers, especially in terms of uh, attaining tenure. But um, it, I mention them because companies like McKinsey, um, companies like Deloitte are knocking it out of the park in terms of understanding, um, whereas some working mothers may want to bring their babies to work. Others may want to get the heck out of Dodge. I was never one who could really um, entertain, no pun intended, the noise stimulation from any of my children, even though I love them dearly. But even that doesn't address the fact that so often the language that's used is um, critically important. So in what I just said, I talked about working mothers, but just as important to figure out if it's worthwhile to have working mothers um, bring their babies in. The same thing should be asked of working fathers um, and figuring out how to best support parents, whether, you know, they have a bundle of joy because of pregnancy, because of adoption, because of surrogacy, any of these wonderful permutations of how we, of how we have our children, how we build our families. So, any policies really need to look at representation, um, what the company, you know, is working with in terms of their own, their own resources, their own capacity, their own understanding of the diverse experiences of, of working parenthood and, and, you know, what that looks like so you can better serve everybody and not just part. So it sounds like then... Uh if I'm a business owner and, and I'm recognizing that I do want to evolve my company culture in a direction that, that's more, um, you know, more equitable for, for working parents and, and more inclusive for them, uh, it sounds like 
doing some employee discovery, as you, as you called it, yeah. <laughs> is, is maybe the first step. Just to, just mm-hmm. to hear their concerns and, and hear what they're up to, both with, a, with some kind of forum, maybe with some anonymous surveys if, if they are not comfortable speaking up. But some combination of those two to start, it would be the best place to start? Absolutely. Okay, great. So as we're then, as, as we're then moving, because I know that there, there was also, uh, you know, in addition to, to all this employee discovery that, that companies could be doing, you've been doing quite a bit of, of customer discovery, just trying to talk to uh, folks that are in your target market. And, and luckily enough, you're, you're in there too. Uh, but you've, you have come out and you mentioned briefly that you have three of them, uh, Endeavor, at last, and Affinity. Tell us a little bit about these three apps that you're kind of kicking things off with and what, they're, what they aim to accomplish and maybe kind of their current stage of development because I know that we are in startup mode right now. We are. And actually, um, we, we officially, um, even though we started in 2017, but we officially launched as of Mother's Day. We thought that would have a nice Congratulations. I didn't realize that. So we kicked off our own podcast series and we are working on onboarding our first um, non-pilot, really beta um, users. So uh, for those who are not familiar with, um, uh, not all startups certainly, but at least with regard to software you have, you know, your, your alpha, your kind of like internal testing you have, your pilot, which is um, similar to beta, but on a, a more limited scale. And then you have your beta and you could start private and then go public and then you're just out there. Um, so that's what we're up to. Um, Endeavor is actually an app that initially was nearest and dearest to my heart, um, if I can use that phrase. And really, Endeavor is an app to help pregnant professionals better navigate their workday based on how they're feeling. So the current pregnancy tracking apps that exist, at least in my opinion, and and certainly in the opinions of, of a number of the women that we've spoken to, really frame the user as, uh, to use the word, a bystander in her own pregnancy experience, which is to say, you get a lot of information, but that information isn't really provided in a way that helps you move forward in your world. And for a lot of women um, who are pregnant, a lot of women who, who have children, you're also a, a work, or you're a worker. You're either an employee or you're self-employed, and so having a better handle on not so much what's going on with your body after the fact, but anticipating what is likely to come, so you can better navigate your workday, um, is what Endeavor strives to do, and that's what it's framed on in an anticipatory approach rather than a, okay, we see that today you're feeling this way, and so good luck, you know, with nothing, sure. with nothing else. So that's Endeavor. Atlas um, is what I mentioned first, and that's the professional uh, development opportunity matching platform, um, which provides recommendations for conferences, seminars, training opportunities, and the like, um, paired with childcare uh, logistics. So I am intentionally uh, a bit vague about that for proprietary reasons, um, but uh that, that is out. Um, and then we also have Affinity, which is a professional networking platform specific to the needs of working mothers initially and then fathers. So with that, we're addressing the, the dilemma of lots of working mothers 
turning their attention um, to their parenting journey overwhelmingly instead of both their parenting journey and the professional advancement journey, at least when they're speaking with peers on these platforms. So if you go into a good number of them, and I'm not going to list any uh, by name, but I, I've been members in, in several communities, um, especially the ones that explicitly state that they are for professional advancement, for professional connections, et cetera. Initially, the conversations are about just that. But then within a few or so weeks from launch, they veer into questions of what's the best nipple for my baby's bottle? Um, what's the best carrier? And for, you know, for somebody like myself who had those exact questions, I appreciate them. They're needed. But just like we need forums that really stick to that information or provide that information, there's a gap in the platforms that provide the information specific to how do I professionally advance? You know, the, the, my needs as the mother of a, an infant are different from the needs of myself being a mother of a kindergartner. So how do I reconcile the two? You know, um, who here can help me figure out what are professional development opportunities that make sense of the ones that have been recommended to me on Atlas um, that would be most impactful based on my child's developmental stage now? So really back to that integration of information and consideration of your professional needs and goals and those of... Uh, being a parent and, and a member of, of your family. Yeah, so a big piece of what you're talking about is, is just how are you building that community mm-hmm. of people who are maybe dealing with similar challenges or maybe they're a few steps uh, ahead or behind you know, on, on the path that they could maybe offer some, some advice and feedback. And, and one of the things that I'm thinking of as you're mentioning a little bit about, about these communities that you're trying to build is recognizing that you are a uh, New York City born, but, <laughs> yeah. but decided not only to move to Rochester, but to, to start a business in Rochester where you know, many would look at the, the uh, startup community in New York City versus Rochester and, and, and may, not, uh, may, may, want to, may want to go back to, to New York. Mm-hmm. So what was it about the community in Rochester that said, this is where I want to start a business? You know, um, I wish I had the perfect story to give. I will say this. Um, When I was not too far off from graduating from college and I went to Alfred University, as mentioned earlier, I was faced with getting a job in the New York City area or the D.C. area. Um, And quite honestly, being broke or broker than a joke initially in in two of the most expensive cities in the country. Um, or looking for opportunity elsewhere. And so my mother and I both made the move up here and it was my mother's genius idea. And I say that with love because it really was a wonderful idea that if we were going to move anywhere, we should move where we know somebody. And my college sweetheart, now my husband, grew up a Webster boy. Um, And so we initially moved here because as whatever candidate it was, you know, 20 maybe years ago said about New York City, the rent is too damn high. We were really uh, not just escaping uh, the exorbitant cost of living in New York City, but we were really looking for an adventure, my mom would call it. I I certainly agree. Um, More greenery, uh, a better pace of life, Um, 
even though at that time, you know, immediately after graduating college, I was not thinking about children yet, I did have the sense that I just wanted to breathe. I didn't want to have to, you know, plan out a week's worth of strategy to figure out if I was going to get a seat on the C train or the D train um, on my work commute. I just wanted room to breathe, to be able to go to the grocery store and it not take, you know, multiple train connections or, you know, go to the lake and see a sunset or a sunrise if I could get up early enough. Um, So I sought and found opportunity, not just in terms of entrepreneurship, because that didn't come until later, but really opportunity in terms of um, one, I wanted to see what was going to happen with my, with my then uh, boyfriend. But also, I was just ready to explore. And um, I remember when my mom and I were checking out Rochester, we looked at a website, I don't know if it's still up, but it, it goes over all of the different communities. And we said, this is just a really cool place. And everybody, you know, for whatever grievances everybody has about every hometown there is, people really seem to like Rochester. Um, And so we were drawn to that. And so we came. Hmm. I'm excited to hear that because you you don't often hear those stories. You know, sometimes we don't have, uh, we don't recognize how good we've got it up here. And so sometimes when you, when you learn from residents, they may not have the, the <laughs> brightest things to say. And so, uh, especially in a, in a spring like this, that has looked oh, a gosh. little bit like, uh, like winter. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but I, I am also interested in some of the, you know, resources that are available that it sounds like you've made, uh, you made use of in your entrepreneurial journey. You already mentioned some of the offerings at, at NextCore. I know that right now uh, you also are being incubated in, at Innovative Solutions. We've had Justin on here, Justin Kopey from Innovative. He talked a little bit about his kind of philosophy of giving some free space to budding entrepreneurs and trying to help them build their culture as well, which obviously resonates with the, with the conscious capitalism ethos. But what has it kind of been like uh, being incubated with, with Innovative? It's been um, an absolute pleasure. I am, uh, despite people saying, no, you're not, I am an introvert, really. Um, I come out of my shell at at certain points, but for the most part, I am very much an introvert, and I, I do tend to keep to myself. That aside, everybody at Innovative has been not just helpful, but just kind in a very understated, I'm here if you need me. Okay, you don't need me yet. You don't need me yet. You probably need me, but you're too introverted to say anything. So I'm going to come over and speak to you, which I think is wonderful. Um, And I also think by and large, um, Innovative has a culture of really intellectual curiosity and figuring out, or at least trying to figure out every day, okay, what am I going to learn today and how am I going to put it into action for, for the greater good? Um, and so being in, in that culture um, has been really great for us, um, us being myself and um, the interns who are working on Architect. Um, and so it's just a, a culture of really learning. Um, I think... There is a, a culture of humility, right? So 
the idea of you don't know what you don't know. And so be happy about what you do know, but always try to learn more um, certainly exists. And everybody's just really, really, uh, as my grandfather would say, just good people. I know before they had moved into um, Riverwood Tech Campus and to the new location, when I had um, visited for the first time uh, when they were at Winton Place, the first thing I heard when I walked into the front door was really uproarious laughter. And so before I had a chance to see anybody's faces to see if they were smiling at me but really faking the funk, you know, (laughs) underneath, I heard that laughter. And I, to this day, I don't know who it was. But when I heard that laughter, I said, okay, at a minimum, people feel comfortable enough to let loose. And I said, whenever I find people who feel comfortable enough to let it loose, those are my people. I love that. Um, hopefully it wasn't a laugh track, but, uh, that was well, well-timed, well-timed <laughs> laughter. No, but just, just being in that office, there's so much energy there. I, I, I know that I, I can tell. And, and the other, the other element you mentioned, I, I've heard their, uh, their head of people, Jamie Eisenhower has yes. talked about how they, they don't hire know-it-alls. They want to hire learn-it-alls. So, mm-hmm. so definitely to that point of, of that curiosity that you're mentioning, uh, I'm, I'm thinking now as well, because you, you briefly mentioned your interns, um, as you're growing architect mm-hmm. beyond just you and beyond, you know, this, this, um, I guess for, for, you'll have to forgive the pun, but th- this baby of yours that yes. you're building, right? Um, how do you, how, how do you hire for people that, you know, resonate with that message? Are you trying to target working moms or, or how are you hiring for, you know, for really this, th- these people that, that resonate and, and has there been anything either from innovative or from, from other companies that you've learned about, about how to hire in that purposeful way? Well, Jamie and I have had a, a couple of really um, meaningful conversations to date um, on, on just that and figuring out essentially what what your organization needs um, because sometimes you need somebody who's just like you uh, for whatever reason and other times you need somebody who's exactly the opposite of you um, so really I'm learning how to take inventory of my own skill set my own strengths um, the things I need to work on and essentially as as other people have said you know commit to hiring people who are more put together and, and smarter than I am and just let them do what they do. Um, and so that said, um, and actually I'm, I'm working on some hiring work now, figuring out the, the particulars of, um, you know, benefits and, um, you know, the cost, uh, the cost factors in terms of, you know, take-home pay is not all uh, that there is when you're figuring out uh, if you can hire people. Um, while I've been figuring that out, I've also been figuring out the the more high-level meta stuff, to use that term, which is um, being more relaxed and not so much degree or skill set based, but really 
uh, finding people who are innately intellectually curious and who want to get into those rabbit holes of information and, and figure things out and, and find problems and not get deterred by them, but get excited and say, okay, well, I'm going to dig into this and I'm going to, you know, work on figuring this out for today. And then tomorrow we're going to do X, Y, and Z with it. So people really who have an innate curiosity about the world um, and want to use their skill sets and, and create new skill sets to, to better connect the dots um, for the purpose of, of helping uh, working parents um, specific to their professional aspirations. Um, but as far as who we're looking for in particular – Sure, it would be great for people who have experience with the issue, um, but there's also dangers in that. So I always have to remind myself that even though I am one of the types of, of target users and customers, I'm but what one data point. And so um, looking for people, especially in the hiring process, who have not had my lived experience, who've had a, another uh, you know, type of lived experience that can add dimension and greater understanding to those experiences of, of the people we are working to serve. Great. The other thing that, that I often ask the, uh, the conscious capitalism-minded startup folks that have been on, on the program here on the Evolving Business Podcast is, is how do you balance, I know with, with any company, but especially with a startup, you know, trying to get profitable is is a, is certainly a, a challenge and something that's top of mind. And and sometimes you might you may start with this this overarching purpose, uh, but you get so focused on keeping the lights on or trying to get into the black that maybe you lose a little bit of that purpose, or you just get so focused on growth that you don't put some of the uh, structures in place to support that that initial purpose. So how have you found a way uh, to really try to balance those immediate needs of profitability as a startup with some of that longer term kind of vision maybe that you have or, or that conscious purpose that you have? So I think it's a couple of things. I think one, it's um, at a bare minimum conversations with those closest to you and in my case closest to me about what the situation is, what's needed, um, what supports are needed. Um, I still, I still do freelancing work. Um, and so, uh, in my case, it's not as scary as if, you know, I just said, you know what, that's it. You know, I'm doing this without any safety net. So I, I say that to say, you have to figure out some safety net. And I, I realize, you know, to use a term that gets thrown a lot lately, privilege that's a privileged take because not everybody has the support system that I have um, and I'm very fortunate to have it. But you've got to figure out how best to set up a, a safety net for yourself and, and that can extend beyond family, it can extend beyond friends. Oftentimes it, it will take resources, um, but you have to connect the dots or find somebody who's good at connecting the dots. Um, so there have been a couple of things that have come my way that could have um, very quickly been profitable, but I always, like every single day, multiple times a day, think of what am I really building for? What's architect building for? And the products, the tools that we're building really won't get any use from me or, or a lot of, uh, you know... Um, uh, friends and family and people who are my age who um, 
are are in different positions in their in their lives. But ultimately, we're playing the long game. We know that the demographic shifts in the workplace, in addition to uh, baby boomers who are joyfully staying in their careers longer, um, will also have a ton of millennials who will be having more children. And so this this dynamic between family and career is um, one of long-term considerations, even in terms of profitability. And so admittedly, does it get dicey? Does it get uncomfortable? Does it get scary sometimes on, you know, on a Sunday night? Absolutely. Have I dry heaved a few times in the last few hours? (laughs) Absolutely. Um, But I always think of my oldest child is going to be six years old and in less than a month. Um, And my youngest child is going to be two in October. And if nothing else architect is building so that if things aren't as, you know, uh, progressive as they should be by then, at least they'll have tools to help them on their way should they decide to endeavor professionally and have children. I noticed that you threw Endeavor in there, which was a, a, a plug for a plug for one of your apps. Uh, that's perfect, perfect. Uh, actually, that as we're starting to wrap up, it, it brings us back to uh, you know, for me, anyways, thinking about now that you are you know a couple years into this, um, what do you see? You've got the you've got these three apps, but maybe five or ten or, or even longer, because it sounds like you do are really playing the long game. What are you dreaming about for the future of Architect? How do you, how do you see it evolving? So um, I see it evolving in a couple of ways, which, again, I'll be a bit vague about for proprietary reasons. Um, but I believe that as far as our Endeavor app is concerned, where really we're talking about an approach to guiding professionals um, through their pregnancy and postpartum, that doesn't have to stick to the matters of or experiences of pregnancy and postpartum. That can virtually be for anything. So for people who are experiencing cancer or who are experiencing um, a condition that, that robbed my, my maternal grandmother of, of so much Alzheimer's, figuring out how to use technology to help people better anticipate what they can expect from different conditions, different diseases, so they can make better decisions um, in various aspects of their lives, so they can essentially have uh, a fellow traveler, a fellow sojourner to help them on their way. Um, We see a great number of of applications um, in that respect. Do we believe we will be the ones to take those applications on? Quite honestly, no. Um, I think there are likely people and organizations that are far better suited and prepared to do so. But I do hope that it's something that that gets, um, that there's a spark that comes out, um, at least a, of that particular app for the, the long run. Mm. And and as this as this is, is growing and evolving with Architect, um, where where do you see um, I, I guess I'm curious, 
if you're seeing that more organizations are open to this? Because I, I, mm-hmm. I think that the working mothers are probably, I won't say an easy sell, but they're probably like hungry for this. What, what do you try to, how do you pitch the companies to say, you really need to pay attention to this? So in a couple of ways, interestingly enough, working mothers have been talking about this for like, since, you know, before the flood, so to speak. Um, <laughs> a lot, a lot of traction to use that term, especially in terms of understanding, um, has come from working dads who are saying, you know what? Y'all have been talking about our, uh, you know, our partners, our wives, whomever, for a number of decades. And that's wonderful. You know, as Kanye would say, I'm going to let you finish. I'm going to let you finish. <laughs> but what about us? What about Bob? If you remember that 90s movie, what about Bob? So at least in terms of a B2B approach, um, cash is king, cost is king. So really, you know, to be a realist about it an assessment or a highlighting of how much it's really costing businesses to just be foolish about not effectively supporting their employees, whether they are working parents with young children or caretakers. Because when you frame it as caretakers, which a lot of federal federal legislation does in terms of anti-discrimination law, it becomes very clear that a lot of people, if not the majority of the workforce, are caretakers in some capacity. If you are caring for a child, if you are caring for an aging parent, if you are part of the sandwich generation, so to speak, where you are caring for both a young child and an aging parent, if you're caring for pets, um, you know, you have needs too because you've got vet appointments, you've got to walk them if you have dogs. And so the conversation, the pitch, always focus, uh, has a focus on cost in terms of um, expenditures, what's being essentially hemorrhaged, thrown away in terms of um, losing talent because they feel crowded out of the space um, and they can't, they can't juggle, so to speak, family and career, but also the non-financial costs, so the, the massive amounts of organizational and wisdom drain um, from organizations that you see time and time again gets lost, especially in fields and industries where um, there are a lot of client or customer-facing positions where relationships matter, where people want to see certain people, um, for instance, law or management consulting. And when you lose people because you haven't supported them to be their best and do their best professionally and in their parenting or caretaking role, you feel the immediate financial and non-financial costs and in the long term in terms of just, uh, you know, the the high level cost of of losing a college educated professional, you're looking at a base of $158,000 per employee. And then you add um, on top of that, the lost uh, book of business for that individual, especially if they're in a client facing role. So easily for one individual in law or in management consulting or in finance, you can be looking at 700,000 to slightly over a million dollars per year. And if you're in an enterprise, do the math, it's astronomical. And part of the problem is that people don't, you know, when they do their annual budgets, they don't have a line item that says, this is, this is the cost of us not adequately supporting our people. And so it's all about coming back to you talk this, you talk a good game, but are you, are you walking your talk? Um, and so we focus on the cost um, as it manifests financially and non-financially. 
Yeah, it, it's a it's a common theme in conscious capitalism, right? Where when you think about the not only the the level of you know re, how how retention can can have a positive impact on the bottom line, but even just the engagement of the workforce mm-hmm. and them feeling like they're cared for, and then bringing that back to the way that they really pour everything that they they have into into their their organization. So just as we're closing, uh, because I feel like this is <laughs> c- continuously evolving, uh, you know, for, for you. And so I'm sure that there will be plenty of updates. So where can folks find you uh, if they'd like to, to learn a little bit more about Architect and what the latest is going on uh, with, with your organization? So they can find us at um, architect, A-R-K-A-T-E-C-H-T dot com. Um, and really, at least for the time being, you could send an email. <laughs> and I am always, um, I am always responding to emails at an appropriate interval of time during the day, not continuously throughout the day. But you can send an email, um, especially if you are an employee with an organ within an organization that could benefit, and um, you would like you would like somebody to contact your employer on your behalf so you don't have to do it yourself. Okay. And and what about folks that may are you still looking for beta testers if, if people yeah. wanna Yeah, absolutely. So they can they can email as well. We did have a form up. We've since taken that down since we're we're onboarding people now. Um, but email is still the best way to go. Great. Well Yasmin, thanks so much for joining us today on the Evolution of Business podcast. Really excited to have you. Uh, so thank you so much for your time. But more importantly, thanks for all that you're doing to build more inclusive you know, cultures for, for these working parents. Thank you. It's been amazing. This episode is brought to you by Wicked Squid Studios, Rochester, New York's premier podcast development team. The Wicked Squid family brings ideas to life through the art of audio production. From custom jingles and creative services to studio memberships and educational curriculum, their outfit strives to empower all members of society to build a more equal and colorful world. Learn more about their operation at wickedsquidstudios.com.